right. Good morning, Journey. How are you guys doing? All right. Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are here and you're a mom. Happy Mother's Day, especially to those of you who are joining us online. And hey, if you are here and this is a painful day for you instead of an exciting day, or that be through loss or maybe you desire to be a mom and that's something God hadn't granted for you yet, we want you to know that we see you, we hear you, and we love you. And uh, more importantly, God sees you, hears you, and loves you. And then also, we know there's a lot of moms, there are a lot of lot of people in the room, ladies who have stepped in and you've played the role of mom, even though maybe you're not uh, a biological mother. So thank you for what you do. And if you allow me to be very personal for just a moment, I would like to wish a happy Mother's Day to my wife, who was in the first service. She is a wonderful mother to our mom, or to, to to our daughter, Madison, and a tremendous example of what it means to be someone who walks with Jesus on a daily basis. And then a happy Mother's Day to my mom. She had a rough time as a mother, not because of anything she did, uh, but she raised three boys. And I don't know if any of you in here are in the process of raising three or more boys, but it can be a challenge when they all when they all get together. And if you've been here over the last five years, you've heard some of the stories uh, that I've told. People have actually asked my mom, hey, are those true or is he just making that stuff up? And her, her sight kind of glazes over and she goes, no, they're true, right? Reliving them all, all over again. We don't have time for all of those. But I will say that on at least one occasion, she came home and a search party was in the front yard getting ready to go look for me and my brother as we looked on from the woods. That's just a normal day in our house, right? Just a normal day. And so uh, a lot of, lot of turmoil for my mom uh, as we were growing up. But one day she called me and she said, hey, I want to apologize to you for uh, some of the things I did as a mom when you were growing up. And hopefully this gives you some encouragement as mothers. And she went on for about five minutes explaining things that, that were bothering her. And I went, hey, mom, I know this is not the response you were looking for. I don't remember anything you just spoke about. <laughs> not not one thing do I, do, do I remember. Your kids are uh, extremely, extremely, extremely uh, resilient. But again, happy Mother's Day to you guys. I hope that it is a special day for you if you are a mom. And we're going to jump into the message. And we're going to move quickly today because I know uh, your husbands and, and your kids have planned special days for you. And they're taking you out to eat. And certainly you're not going home and cooking for yourself. Correct? All right. If she is, Dad, fix that. Hurry. You still have time to to get that right. Listen, my mom called to apologize because she didn't feel like she's doing some things right. But look, it, those of you who are parents, whether uh, mom or dad, do you ever really feel like you're doing it right? Right. It's, it's always a challenge. It's always something that you're struggling with. And we know that we we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes as parents. And there's times that we're not going to get it right. There's mistakes that we're going to make. There's things that are going to frustrate us, but ultimately our goal is simply to have an impact on our children in a godly way that lasts longer than we do. And so I want my daughter, as a father, I I want my daughter to be closer to Jesus than I am. I want her to worship more passionately uh, than I worship, right? I want her to trust Jesus in times where maybe my faith wavers. I want her to be better, to walk closer to Jesus, to pass on some things that will help her do that. And I would suggest this morning, just as we move into the message, that the goal of all of us, whether mom or dad or just individual, should be that, that we should outlive our life, that there should be things that we're passing on that are 
continuing to affect generations even after we're gone. That people are walking with Jesus because of us even after we've been gone for a hundred years. That, that, that should be our goal. That we're going to have an impact that outlasts us. And we do that sometimes with certain things in families, don't we? Any of you guys have recipes that you've, you've passed down from generation? Don't be shy. Come on, raise them up. If not, you should start that, that now. My grandmother had a pound cake recipe and uh, I will go ahead and tell you, I'm sure your grandmother made a pound cake too. My grandmother's was better, right? It's it an amazing, amazing pound cake. I found out as I got older that that recipe actually had been passed down the generation before. And so somebody passed it down to my grandmother and to, to her siblings. And then my grandmother passed it down to my mother, who I hope she's watching right now. I love you, Mom. She don't ever make that pound cake anymore. My address is the same, right? So... She passed it down to my mom, and so we got to enjoy that when we were growing up. And when I got married, my mom passed it down to my wife, and I'm sure one day as our daughter gets older, we will we'll pass it down to her. And so we already do this with certain things, right? We pass it down from generation to generation to generation, and that recipe is still around. And my grandmother passed away uh, almost 15 years ago, but that recipe is still there. It's still making a difference. And I would say there are other things about her life that are making even more of a difference. She taught me what it meant to spend a fervent time in prayer. She taught me that. She taught me what it meant to live with little, but to love Jesus and to make a huge impact, right? All of those were passed down. And so I want to encourage you today to pass down some physical things, right? That's important. But hopefully what you're thinking of today is passing down things that are more important than any kind of resource that you could ever pass down. So I want to encourage you to, to pass down to the generations that are coming after you uh, what it means to have a close relationship and a close walk with Jesus. And we're going to discover how to outlive our life and how to make that kind of difference in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screens. But just to catch you up, the first word of this passage is therefore, and he's actually referring back to what he's been talking about in Hebrews 11. We don't know exactly who the author of Hebrews was, but he's referring back to something that he said in Hebrews 11, where he basically goes through a roll call of faith. He's talking about heroes of the Christian faith. And so he names men like Abraham. He names men uh, like Moses and men like Elijah. He's just walking through like Noah. He's walking through all these people who had an impact, right, that outlasted their life. And as he's walking through uh, that list, he actually uh, calls out two names of moms. He calls out the name of Sarah and he calls out uh, the name of Rahab. And both of those ladies, we don't have time to dig into all of it now, but both of them outlived their life in such a way that it's impacting you and me today. Part of the reason that, that you know Jesus and that you have a relationship with him, if you do, is because of those two ladies, because of Sarah and because of Rahab. And so we see there already, just as he's going through the names, that it's possible to have a difference. It's possible to make a difference in your life that lasts longer than you do. And so he says, therefore, in other words, remembering that, remember all those people that we just talked about, it's possible, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
So four things we're going to walk through real quick this morning. If we're going to have an impact that outlives our life, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to find our people. We're going to find our people. And you may go, what in the world are you talking about? I'm saying there are people that God intends to be in your life that will make you better. And we're going to find who those people are. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, right? He said at the beginning, he said, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, again, he's talking about all the heroes of the faith, but I want to make it personal to you. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Currently in your life, as you look around yourself, who is it that you are surrounding yourself with? And we ask this because the Bible teaches from beginning to end over and over and over again that you become who you hang around. It seems almost like a a too simple of a truth, but the truth of the matter is this, is that if you want to come really good at finances, if you want to become someone who handles your finances with expertise, the key isn't always to go out and buy the last Dave Ramsey book. The key is to surround yourself with people who already handle finances well. And then you will begin to pick up on what they do. And you, you see this in the life. If you're a parent, you sit in life of your kids already, don't you? They begin to talk like who they hang around. They begin to dress like the people that they're hanging around. They take on the same attitudes as the people that they hang around. You go, that's right. I tell my kids that we never grow out of it. It's true for us all the time. You simply become like who you hang around. A pastor named Craig Cruchel says it this way. He says, if you will show me your three closest friends, I can show you your future. Because you become who you hang around. And so we want to find our people. We want to be intentional about the people we surround ourselves with. And the first thing we're going to do with it is we're going to choose our friends wisely. We're going to choose our friends wisely. Here's why. Here's what the Bible says. Backing up the things we just spoke about. It says, don't be fooled by those who say such things. Look, don't miss it. For bad company corrupts good character. In other words, if you're a person with high moral standards and you begin hanging around someone with low moral standards, then eventually what that character is going to corrupt, right? You're going to become who it is that you're hanging around. It also says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Again, it's saying that the people that you hang around are almost more important than anything else in your life because that is who you're going to become. That's who you're going to become. So think about your friends. Right now, the people that you surround yourself with, pick the three closest and think about their life and think about if that's where you want to be. Is that the person that you want to be? Is that the mom that you want to be? Because if you hang around other moms who are constantly talking bad about their husband and complaining about their children and outspending the resources that they have, guess who you will become? You will become a mom who is constantly complaining about her husband constantly complaining about her children, and constantly living outside of the resources that you have. If you're a man and you're hanging around people who are constantly running around on their wife, guess who you will eventually become? You'll eventually become the man who is constantly running around on his wife. But look, the reverse is true. If you surround yourself with people that love and that walk with Jesus and live with wisdom... You will become someone, this is why small groups are so important, you will become someone who loves and lives and walk with Jesus. But here's the kicker. We don't normally choose our friends, do we? We don't. 
Like, think about the last time that you saw someone and you went, I want to be a friend with them. Did you, did you go up to somebody and go, hey, I just wanted you to know that we're going to be friends? They probably would respond and go, yeah, no, no, uh-uh. Now, you're being super weird right now. We normally don't pick our friends. They just kind of happen naturally. It's just people that we're in the same environment with, and those are usually the people that end up being our friends. And it's a proximity thing. We're always around one another. We have some common interests, and so we're always here. And the friendships just kind of naturally develop. I would say that those are fine, but the Bible would say that there are friendships that you should be intentional about, that you should choose the people that are going to surround you because you know the truth, that you become who you hang around. And so you need to be intentional about the people that you are placing in your life. And once you get the right people in your life, look, here's the key. You got to choose to be accountable. Once you get the right people in your life, you have to choose to be accountable to them. And so here's a question for you. Who is it in your life that can hold you accountable? Who right now in your life has the ability to call you on anything and to say, hey, you've said that you want your life to be A, B, C, D. I want you to know right now I see you making decisions that are going to ruin all of that. And so stop it. Who is it in your life that has that kind of freedom? Look, I would dare say that almost all of us right now would have to answer, that person doesn't exist. It's because we don't like being held accountable for anything. We don't. We don't like people calling us and telling us, hey, the way that you just spoke to everybody in that meeting, not a good thing. We don't want that. We don't want the friend that calls us, and says, hey man, saw you and your wife out, and the way that, that you handled that situation, not good. Really not going, not going to help. It's not a good thing. We don't want people saying, hey, I saw the way that you just handled that with your son or with your daughter. And you probably should have handled that better. And I'll say this, we don't want that, but we need that. You need that. You need people in your life who love you enough to tell you the truth. And in fact, you need people in your life who love you more than they love what you think about them, right? People who are willing to tell you the truth, knowing that this might harm the relationship or you might think less of me because we have this conversation. But once you find the right people, you need to give them the ability to hold you accountable. And so we're going to put the right people in our life if we want to outlive our life. And then we're going to give them a chance to hold us accountable. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to lighten our load. We're going to lighten our load. The writer of Hebrews said this. He put it this way. He said, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. There's two things, he says, right here. Don't miss it. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin. That means there are two different things. That means that there are things in your life that are not sin that are holding you back in your relationship with Jesus. That there are things that you could read Bible front to back and you could go nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say that that's a sin. But God would still say to you that this is a hindrance to you. This is a hindrance to mine and your relationship together. And here's what, what those things do. Or rather, let's hop here first. We're going to put it this way. We're going to remove things from our life that are useless. These are the encumbrances. These are things that just shouldn't be there and things that are useless in your life. Here's what they waste. They waste your time. They waste your energy, and they waste your resources, your money. And so what is it in your life 
right now. That as just as we've been talking about this for about two minutes, there are some things that God has already brought to your mind. And there are things that you know, they waste your time, they waste, they waste your energy, and they waste your resources. And they literally are holding you back in your relationship with God. I thought about naming some things, but listen, you already know what they are. God's already brought them to your mind. And right now you're thinking about it and you're thinking about all the excuses for why the guy standing on the platform is wrong and you should be able to keep doing the things that you're doing. I would say that God didn't bring that to your mind for no reason. There's a reason. There's something he wants you to do with it. So what things are in your life that are holding you back, that are keeping you from actually running the race that God desires for you to race? When someone's getting ready to run, they want as little resistance as possible, right? In fact, if you see a runner walking around in public, your first thought is probably put on some clothes, right? As little as possible. It's because they want as little resistance as possible. But running with useless things in your life, things that are stealing your time, your energy, and your resources, is like running with a backpack full of bricks. It isn't going to end well. At best, you're going to fast walk, right? At worst, you're going to wipe out, and you're not even going to finish the race. And so today, you need to take those things off. Take them off. Look, I would like to point to one of those things today, because it's something that we see people struggling with over and over and over again, and it's this. You need to remove the unnecessary guilt from your life. There's some of you that walked in this morning, and you're walking around, with unnecessary guilt. You're feeling bad about decisions you made or statements you made or things that you wish that you could have done different. But I would remind you today that that you're enough. Your identity as a person, your identity as a mom, your identity as a believer is found in the person of Jesus. Your Your salvation is found in the finished work of Jesus. And listen, your children are safe in the care of Jesus. And you don't have to be perfect because you have a Savior who is. And so stop simply trying harder and start resting in the completed work of Jesus. And that's why Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Look at what he said. I will give you rest. Not I will give you more work. Not I will give you a list of other things that you're supposed to be doing. Not I will pile on to the guilt that you already have. But come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And, I will, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden that I give you is light. And so if you're walking around with unnecessary guilt in your life, if every day you're thinking about mistakes that you made in the past, I would remind you that the grace of God has covered that and you do not have to be perfect because your Savior is. And so take His yoke because it's easy and it's light. But listen, so we're going to remove useless stuff. We're also going to remove sin from our life. There are things that we know are sinful that are still in our lives. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you're going to run the race that God has called you to race, to run, if you're going to have an impact that outlives your life, then you've got to get rid of that. You have to choose to deal with the sin in your life. The psalmist knew that, and he wrote this psalm as a reminder. He said, search me. Oh God, and know my heart. Test me 
and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Did you see that? There's an invitation. Lord, I want you to search me. Search me, Lord. Know my heart. Test me. In other words, find the things in my life that should not be there. And then there's an invitation. Lord, I want you to point them out. Show them to me. Show me the things in my heart and my life that are holding me back, that are keeping me from running the race that you've called me to race. Listen, if running with useless stuff in your life is like running with a backpack on, then running with sin in your life is like trying to run with your shoelaces tied, you're always going to fall down. But it ain't going to work. You can't do it. You can't tie your shoes to one another and hope that you're going to run at top speed or hope that you're even going to stay on your feet. And so we're going to do a few things if we're going to outlive our life. The first one, we're going to put the right people in our life. The second one, we're going to keep our load as light as we possibly can. And then we're going to keep our focus. We're going to keep our focus. The author of Hebrews put it this way. He said, we fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. And the first part of keeping your focus is this, is you need to know why you're running in the first place. You need to know why you're running. Let me ask you something. What's your goals? Like, what is it that you want to accomplish? If you have a family, what is it that you want your family to accomplish? Is it that you want to grow a a lot of wealth so that you can pass that down from generation to generation so that you're literally changing generations of people? Uh, that's, That's a cool goal. That's a great goal. Is your generation to maybe buy a family piece of property and that's what you're going, you're going to pass down. Like this will be the family land. This is our 40 acres or this is our 400 acres and we're going to invite all of the pastors to come hunt our 400 Hey, right? Is that is that is that your goal? Is that what what you want to accomplish? Do you, do you just want to accomplish the next phase? Is that is that what you're waiting on? You're like, hey, if we could just get him or her out of diapers, then that's a goal, right? That's like a pay raise, or just get them off a of formula, or if we could just get them out of the house, right? And it just kind of goes on and on. And maybe they're out of the house, maybe they're grown, they're out of the house. And you're like, if they would just hurry up and have grandkids. Right? Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe the focus, the goal is just whatever the next step is, whatever is coming next. And that, that's what you're focused on. That's your focus. That I just want to make sure that we get this accomplished. I would say to you today, especially to those of you who are moms in the room and to those of you who are parents, that the most important thing that you can give your kids is an example of what a growing relationship with Jesus looks like. It's not resources. It's not It's not a nice car when they turn 16. It's not a home that you can leave them. It's not a great inheritance. The best thing that you can do for your children is to show them what it looks like to walk with Jesus on a daily basis. That when when things are great, that they see a mom who is walking with Jesus. And that when things are bad, they see a mom that is still walking with Jesus. And when things are exciting... They see a mom that's walking with Jesus. When things are mundane and they're not really going anywhere, they still see a mom that is walking with Jesus. That's the best gift that you can give your kids because if you're a parent, you know this to be true, that at some point your kids will have a great day and then they'll have a bad day and they'll have an exciting day and they'll have a mundane day. And in all of those times, they need to know what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And you can bring them here. We want you to. We have a, 
fantastic children's department. Pastor Nate and his team do an incredible job of teaching the Bible to the kids that are in their care week in and week out. And you can bring them here. Maybe you can bring them in this room and they hear the teaching in front of this room. They get everything they can possibly get. Maybe they move on into students and, and they live there. They grow there. They go through that five or six years with students and they, they grow and they learn everything that Pastor Tony and his team is teaching. You know what they're going to revert back to when they have a bad day is what they saw. What they saw. They're going to act the way mom did. They're going to act the way that dad did. And so what is it that you're passing down? What is the most important thing that you can give your kids is an example of what a growing relationship with Jesus looks like. And so we're going to focus on him. That's who we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the person of Jesus. And as we focus, we're going to look to the finish line. And, and here's the key. I think we mess this up sometimes in Christianity that the finish line and the goal is not heaven. Because heaven is extraordinary because our God is there. That's what makes it extraordinary. Our finish line, our goal is the person of Jesus. And so we keep looking to him. We keep looking to him. So our focus is on him. It's on the person of Jesus. Every four years when the, the summer Olympics come around, I have something to watch on TV. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I enjoy watching things that I normally wouldn't watch. The Olympics are especially good now because uh, they've taken the braids off of any station that I pay for. And I, I don't know, some of you guys are probably paying for it, but I refuse to. Uh, not because I'm cheap, but just because they don't get good until the end of the year. Ah, that's, a, that's a side trail. Y'all don't worry about it. Let's bring, bring it all back in. So when the Olympics are there, there's actually something worth watching. And so I'll sit down and I'll watch them. And there's one sport that's fascinated me ever since I was a teenager, and, and it's these guys, a bunch of guys in a boat together, and they're rowing, right? They, they all have an oar, one oar, and they're rowing on that oar, and, and the goal is to get to the finish line faster than everyone else, but there's something strange that's going on. The finish line is back here. They're looking this way, but they're going that way, and there's one guy in the boat. This is the job I would want. And he's sitting at the back of the boat, and they're all staring at him. And here's what he does. He goes, <clears throat> row. Row. Every time I think, what if he just messed up the cadence, right? Just for fun. Like, what if he went, row, row, row. Row, right? <laughs> That's probably why I could never be, never be that guy. But listen, he, he maybe you look at it, and you go, I don't know why they would want unneeded weight in the boat. But he actually may be the most important person in the boat because he's ensuring that they row at the same time, which keeps them going in a straight line. Look, he also has a better view than the rest of them. So their goal is to look at him, but he sees everything going on around them. He sees things that they do not see. And so he knows when they need to speed up. He knows when they can take it easy for a moment and regain their breath and regain their strength so that they can sprint toward the finish line. Look, it's a beautiful picture of a believer's relationship with Jesus because we've been called to focus on the person of Jesus. And Jesus sees things that we do not see. And so when we're looking at him and he's given us instructions, they may not make sense to us. They may not say, make sense to anybody around us. But he's the captain of the boat and we follow him and we look to him. He is the finish line. He is the one that we listen to. He is the one that we look for. And, and look, here's the way we see it in Scripture. 
when Jesus is our focus, everything else really doesn't seem to matter as much. In fact, Paul said this. He said, our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Listen, and on people. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I will remind you again, he sees things that you do not see. And if you want to have an impact on the generations that come after you, a positive impact, then you must keep your focus on the person of Jesus. And here's where we end. We have to just keep going. You just have to keep going. Look, here's the way the writer said it. He said, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose hearts. There's a, a basic truth in life that we all learn pretty quickly, right? And it's this. You can write it down if you're taking notes. You're going to fall down. <laughs> right? That's it. There's a physical aspect to it, right? You're, you're going to fall down. Those of you who have had the privilege of raising toddlers and you've seen them take their first steps, it's a pretty special moment to watch a child begin to walk and the excitement that's on their face. But, but they generally, they'll take one step, right? The excitement gets in, they take one more, and then what happens? Right? They lose their balance and they fall down. And I think it's funny, you may not, but what happens is they can't control their head. And so, so their head is leading them places their body ain't quite ready to go. And so they're just stumbling forward and they go down. But what do they do? They generally just hop back up. Maybe they crawl to a table and they, they pull themselves up and, and they try again. They get, and the goal is ultimately that the muscles in their legs will become strong enough and the muscles in their core and the muscles in their neck all will become strong enough so that they can walk appropriately, hopefully for the rest of their life. But if you've raised kids longer than a toddler, you also know that they'll take off running when they're seven, eight years old. <laughs> what happens? They're going to fall down. Like, it's going to happen. Their shoelaces are going to come undone, or God forbid, some of us are just so athletic, we just trip on our own feet, and there you're going to fall down. It's just going, it's going to happen. And then they become teenagers, and maybe they're athletic, maybe they play sports. If they do, they're, they're going to fall down again. And you would hope at some point that, that this would end. But we have steps going to our office here at Journey, and we have several people in their 30s and I'm here to let you know, people in their 30s fall down all the time too, loudly. Right? They make a big show. They, they fall down, and, and it happens. But they they get back up. And as you get older, guess what? You keep falling. You trip over stuff you didn't know was there. The door frame's higher than you thought it was, and all of a sudden there you are. You're laying down. The goal the goal is to to get back up. Right? It's true in a physical sense, but it's also true in a spiritual sense. That as you began to learn. To walk with Jesus, you're going to fall down. And hopefully you've put the right people in your life, and they're there to help you get back up. And they go, hey, we're going to get back on track, right? We're going we're going to start walking again. And then you know what happens? You walk for a while, and in a spiritual sense, you you fall back down. 
And then you get back up and you start walking again. And look, I don't know how long you've been walking with Jesus, but I'm at about 30 years. And for 30 years, I've been falling down. Thank God he's been getting me back up. Like we just get back up and we start walking with Jesus again. We made a mistake. That's fine. We're going to get up and we're going to walk again. In fact, you may want to just jot it down. When, when you fall down, just get back up. Just don't stay there. You're going to fall down. Just don't stay there. Just get back up. Get back up. One of my favorite hymns is a, a hymn called Come Thy Fount. And if you grew up in church, maybe, maybe you're familiar with it as well. But it's written by a guy named Robert Robinson. And Robert grew up in, in England in the 18th century. And very early, his dad passed away. And although he had a very uh, wealthy granddad on his mother's side, he had been disinherited because dad didn't like who mom had married. And so Robert and his mom fell on difficult times at an extremely young age for him. And so he began, even at an early age, began to work odd jobs to help provide for the family. Welfare and care for the poor at an all-time low at this time. And so they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to get by. They're trying to have food to eat, just a place to sleep. And Robert's doing what he can to make that happen. At the age of 14, his mom, hoping to give him a better life, sends him to London And Robert becomes an apprentice for a barber. And his goal is to begin cutting hair so that he can support him and his mom. But it doesn't take long for Robert to fall in with a crowd of difficult people. And the biblical truth we talked about earlier is lived out by Robert. And he slowly begins to become the people that he's hanging around. And by the age of 17... He's a wild guy. And having nothing to do one night, he grabs his buddies. And he says, hey, some supposed famous evangelist is preaching at the Methodist church. Let's go make fun of him as he preaches. And so him and his buddies go and they walk into the church and they sit quietly as George Whitfield preaches the message. And Robert will later say that he chewed on One statement for three years. He carried around one statement from that message. And he played it over and over and over again in his head. And three years later, he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he found peace with God. He quickly reconnected with that evangelist. And Robert himself became a pastor. And he'd been pastoring for about three years after the point of his conversion. And he wanted to do something special to remember when God had changed his life. And so as part of the service that day, he sat down and he wrote a song and he shared it with his congregation. And again, maybe you're familiar with it. It goes this way. Come thy fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of your redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, that simply means God is our help. Here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. 
Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the foe to God. He who rescued me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. And listen, if it's in a statement we all can cling to, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Robert said, I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I know it. I'm, I'm prone to fall down. And he did. Robert had a lot of success as a pastor. In fact, one of the churches that he pastored grew to an average weekly attendance of over a thousand people. That would be considered a success at any point during the history of the gathered church. But at some point, nobody really knows why Robert walked away from all of it. And he just began to wander around. And one day he found himself in a stagecoach with a lady that he did not know. And to break the monotony, she began to sing. And she began to sing the words, Come thy fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. And Robert interrupted her. And he attempted to change the subject, but she just kept singing. And when she was done... She asked him, what, what do you think of the song that I just sang? And he attempted to change the subject yet again, but she kept pressing the matter. Maybe she was hoping for him to brag on her musical ability. I don't know, but she kept pressing. And finally, Robert said, Madam, I'm the unhappy man that wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them. If I could feel now as I felt then. And the lady responded, the streams of mercy still are flowing. And listen, I don't know how you walked in today. Maybe you crawled in. Maybe you've been laying on the ground for a long, long time. You fell and you just refused to get back up and you're there. And your relationship with Jesus is exactly where it was five or ten or 15 years ago, and Jesus today would remind you that the streams of mercy still are flowing. Maybe you're here and you're thinking you messed up for too long or for too bad, and Jesus would say, hey, the streams of mercy still are flowing, that you simply need to get back up. That's why Paul encouraged us with this. He said, I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus, is calling us. So get back up. If you've sat down or if you've fallen down, simply get back up and keep walking. Listen, there's just one next step I want to share with you today, and it's this, to just begin living in such a way that you outlive your life. What does that mean for you? Maybe you need to surround yourself with the right kind of people. Maybe you need to uh, choose with intent the people that you allow to speak into your life. Maybe there are things that you walked in this room toting that today Jesus would say, I never intended for you to carry that. You just need to put it down. Just drop it. Don't tote it anymore. Maybe you're down and you just need to get back up. But listen, the streams still 
are flowing. They're still flowing. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. We praise you. And we are so thankful that when we fall down or when we're faithless, that, God, you are faithful. Lord, we're thankful that our salvation is secure in you, that it's not dependent on us or our actions, but it's secure in the person of Jesus. Lord, as we think about a day that's as special as Mother's Day, I thank you that you love our children even more than we do. And Lord, they're safe and they're secure in your care. God, would you be with us now? If there's someone in the room who today walked in thinking they were too far gone, would you remind them? They're never out of your reach. If there's people in the room today who've never accepted you, give them the courage to do that right now. Yes, if you would, just keep your heads bowed for just a second. Maybe you're here in the room and that, that is a relationship that you've never began. Look, I don't want you to leave without knowing the truth of the gospel. And the truth is that we're born sinners. We born, we're born falling down. And the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. But listen, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus, our Lord. And today... God offers that life to you. If you want to begin that relationship, you can simply reach out to Him. It's a prayer between you and God. It doesn't involve anyone else. Say, Lord Jesus, today I realize I need you. I know I'm a sinner. God, I thank you that I'm not too far gone. Today, I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. Lord, we thank you for anyone who just prayed that. God, be with us now as we move into a time of response. Would you guys go ahead and stand to your feet? We're going to have time of response. Our prayer team is going to come forward down front. Maybe you need to come forward this morning. Just leave some things here at the altar and say, Lord, you know what? I walked in with that, but I'm not going to walk out with it. But you just respond as God leads you this morning.